Welcome to the Abiding Word with Pastor Jim Swigert of Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Pastor Jim is teaching through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Now let's join Pastor Jim for today's Abiding Word. Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, as we continue through our study in the Gospel of Mark, we've been seeing Jesus having told his disciples a couple different times that they were headed to Jerusalem where he would suffer many things, he would be turned over into the hands of men, and that he would be killed, and that he would rise on the third day. And again, we're reminded that the disciples were not understanding these things that Jesus was telling them. Uh, they, you know, they didn't understand that the Messiah was going to lay down his life. Remember, uh, Peter, he took Jesus aside and rebuked him, uh, which in turn, Jesus took Peter aside and rebuked him uh, and said, Get behind thee, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of a man. And then remember last week we saw that Jesus, he healed a uh, the man's son with a mute spirit, the, a demon. And Jesus told his disciples um, that the son of man is going to be betrayed and um, into the hands of men and that he would be killed. And after he would be killed, he'd rise on the third day. And, and once again, the disciples showed that uh, they weren't mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. And remember, they disputed among themselves as who was the greatest. And, you know, we certainly see in this passage that Jesus is full of grace and that he began teaching the disciples, continuing uh, the mindset of teaching them what a servant is. And uh, we, we see that throughout the Gospel of Mark, this is the theme. And Jesus said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so in this, Jesus is teaching his disciples. Now, this is discipleship 101. These things are obviously relevant for us today. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to us and what a servant is. And again, this is the theme throughout the Gospel of Mark. So we pick up then in verse 38. Now John answered him, saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterward speak evil of me, for he who is not against us is on our side. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you the blessing of meeting together and freedom, Lord, to worship you, to praise you, to hear the praises uh, that people give to you this morning, Lord. And uh, we rejoice, Lord. And, and now, Lord, we, we intently ask of your Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us, Lord. Lord, in context, we see how you were speaking to your disciples. And we ask that you would speak to us in such a way, Lord. You know where each and every one of us are in our walk with you, Lord. And we want to follow you closely, Lord. We want to be so connected to you. We want to abide in you, Jesus. And so speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, again, Jesus teaching the disciples 
these valuable lessons of servanthood, and then we, we get John uh, answering Jesus to this. Teacher, we've seen this guy. We, we saw him cast out demons, and we, we told him he shouldn't do that because he's not part of us. And I, I find that interesting. It, it shows that um, the disciples weren't getting what Jesus was saying. Uh, but again, John's thoughts was, and no doubt the rest of the disciples, you know, they, they thought they were an elite group. They thought that uh, God was only working through them and, and how narrow-minded and selfish this really is that to think that God could only work through them. And, uh, you know, God's grace is enough for sure. Uh, but what a lesson for us in the body of Christ. It's, you know, there is this thinking in the church world today that um, only, only certain ones can be used by God. And we really see that, uh, you know, throughout the scriptures that God desires unity in the body of Christ. And we've got to be honest, we don't always see that in the body of Christ today. In fact, we see Christians eating their own a lot of times. And instead of unity, there's disunity when uh, focusing on non-essentials and not focused on the gospel. And notice here, though, Jesus says, our side. I think this is key for us to understand. He, he's, the disciples have said this, and, and Jesus says, you know, don't forbid them, uh, for he who is not against us is on our side. So there is sides. There's two different sides. There's Team Jesus and the rest of the world. Are you part of Team Jesus? Amen. If you didn't say amen, let's pray real quick for you. You're on Team Jesus, right? Having been, uh, you know, forgiven of your sin. So the same side, the church of Jesus Christ is on the same side. It's Team Jesus and the true church having the same task, making disciples, being salt to the earth, being light to the world, to love one another. To love one another. I'm reminded that Jesus in his high priest prayer in John chapter 17, he prayed for us, the church, today. Uh, remember, John chapter 17, verse 20. And 22. No worries. I'm going to stick up for our, our, our slide person today. Uh, people were sick, and they uh, this is the first time, and praise God, may the Lord bless her. Uh, so no need to be sorry. We're all the same team. But this is what Jesus prayed. I do not pray for these alone, that's referring to his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. What a powerful prayer Jesus prayed with, you know, obviously the foreknowledge of, of his church, that, that we would be one. This would be unity in Jesus. And did you catch that? That the world may know. That the world may know. I don't know, that strikes something in me when we see the world, or excuse me, the church, 
living in the world today and not being united in a biblical way. The, the testimony then to the world. And we understand we live in a darkened world, that everything isn't going to be perfect. We certainly understand that, but Jesus prayed that we would be one and that the love that we would love one another, and that would be a testimony to the world. But then there's also, we have to keep in mind, that there is such thing as unity for the sake of unity and not for the truth. We see a lot of that taking place today. Unity for the sake of unity and not for the truth. We all just need to get along. We can get along in our doctrinal differences. We can even, you know, is Jesus really the only way? And it's, no, no, I'm saying this, that there must, we must draw the line. Because the enemy's plan is to bring in a, a whole ecumenical mindset, and we know this, right? We know what's going on in the Middle East. We understand that there's worship center in Dubai and, and whatnot. You've got Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And we understand where all that's headed to a one-world government that will include a one-world religion. But Jesus isn't the head of a one-world religion. He's the head of the church. Satan, the Antichrist, will be leading the one-world religion under the umbrella of the one-world government. So Jesus isn't talking about ecumenicalism. And anybody see that commercial? I'll probably get in hot water, but it'll be okay. Um, he gets us. Do you understand that's not from the Lord, folks? That is not from the Lord. This is uh, an angel of light disguising itself to be truth. It's not from the Lord. You know, so we also need to be careful that we don't pick things apart. The essentials are the gospel of Jesus Christ saves. Amen? That's an essential that we can never, ever, ever waver from. The Word of God doesn't contain the Word of God. The Word of God is the Word of God. And, and we will never waver from this. We also understand that Jesus said, worship in spirit and truth. Now, we can have our differences in how we do church. If you think this is the only way to do church, we would be mistaken. I think of my brother's and sisters over in Nepal. I can't wait to share some updates soon, man. They are on fire for the Lord. And we get to be a part of it. And we are a part of it. But those are little differences. But we can never waver away from the truth and the essentials. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. Nobody goes to the Father but through me. I can remember one time, uh, this is many years, I just thought of this. Years ago, I graduated with, well, that was years ago that I graduated from high school. Um, but uh, years later, you know, got saved, uh, became a pastor. And I knew this girl, she was very religious when we grew up. A very nice gal. And I remember I'm on the phone ministering to somebody, and I see her walking up to my door. And uh, I knew she belonged to the Jehovah's Witnesses. And so, oh my goodness, now she's going to come to my door. And I hadn't seen her in 20 years. And uh, so I got off the phone and um, talked to her. And she goes, why well, here? We're just, we're an awful lot alike. And I'm like, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. It was a very short conversation, but she knew that I wasn't really like her. Um, 
again, you know, the, the enemy is so clever. So again, Jesus isn't teaching any ecumenicalism here. He is, he's our side. Verse 31 says, For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, surely I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So here Jesus spoke of someone who performs a very simple act of hospitality in his name, and that person will be rewarded for their actions. And you see here, Jesus teaching, there is no service too small. And boy, do we need to understand that. We understand it as a church plant, new. Everybody just dives in and, and, and works and all. <clears throat> but not everybody could be part of a church plant. And sometimes, even in the body of Christ, we think we got a, uh, big churches, uh, big budgets, uh, uh, you know, lots of people, big offering, and, and all of those different things, where God can use the smallest of churches. And in context, the smallest of deeds. I love to see mature believers get in the trenches. That's, that's being a servant, getting in the trenches not having to be seen. And I praise God for all those in this ministry that do so many things behind the scenes. Uh, they'll never be rewarded here on earth, but praise God, man, are they going to get rewards in heaven. There's no, no good work, no deed, no ministry, even if, when it's small, that, that God doesn't see. We're never going to be too big to do the small things. Jesus wasn't. Jesus, the Son of God, he did a lot of small things. Then verse 42. I wish we could just skip over this. It's such a joyful day. But God does in his word share the importance of dealing with sin. And you might be here this morning thinking, well, Jim, I'm not dealing with any sin. Well, be careful, number one. But we're called to minister to one another in the body of Christ to minister to one another. And the greatest way we minister to one another is with the truth. Because in this, as we read this, there's so much grace and love and mercy from God showing us the importance of dealing with sin, how important it is we deal with sin. How important the body of Christ sees the importance of dealing with sin. Look at verse 42. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So the little ones here, when Jesus says these little ones, that connects back to verse 37. Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. So certainly little children as he showed them, but remember little children and servant in Aramaic is the same meaning. So really the context here is servant. I like, um, so beginning here to the, to the rest of this chapter, it, it's the importance of dealing with sin. And it says here stumbling block or to stumble, which means to trip up or cause someone to veer off course. In other words, if, if you cause one of God's children, servant, 
to veer off course in their walk with him, that's, that's being a stumbling block, and it's, it's not good. And it's a warning, as we see here, the warning, the penalty and consequence waiting for those who might harm these little ones. And, you know, we, we see as we'll read this, Jesus talked about hell. And who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to us this passage of Scripture. Now, we can have our personal convictions about eternal security, and I certainly do have mine. But Jesus talked a lot about hell to his followers. and. I think, one, it reminds us of the contrast that we have, the eternal glory that, you know, this is what we have to look forward to, but reminding us the depths of what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross. If it wasn't for him, we would be going to hell. And he's showing these things, again, as a contrast, not saying if you, if you don't, you know, if, if you have sin, you're automatically going to go to hell. Jesus isn't saying those things. But when it talks about sin within the body of Christ being a stumbling block, it is, it is a serious thing. Jesus prayed that we would love one another and that would be a witness to the world. What's the greatest way for you and I to cause one another to stumble? Well, sin. And Jesus said in verse 43, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if you, if, excuse me, and if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So this is heavy-duty language that Jesus gave to his disciples here. Again, all under the context of causing a little one to stumble. And here we see Jesus, he's not speaking of cutting up limbs and eyes. If you think about that, you know, we would have nothing left of ourselves. <laughs> what a terrible picture that is. But when Jesus, he's, he's talking about those things that cause us to cling to this world and its wicked behavior, and he's pointing out how they need to be removed from our lives. And it's like a surgeon who would cut out, you know, gangrene that diseased in our body. And it's the same way with sin. Sin is serious. It's drastic that for believers to take care of sin. Now, when Jesus speaks of hands, we, we think of the, the deeds that we do. You think of the, the feet, speak of where we walk and the things that we're involved in. and. Our eyes speak of the things that we allow into our minds and into our hearts. So we need to examine our hearts continuously because, again, sin is serious. And Jesus, using this figurative language, as he often did, to show us how important this is. Sin is serious. How do we deal with it? 
How do we deal with sin? Well, let's chew on a few truths that we find in God's Word regarding sin. Number one, you don't have to take notes, but number one, know that sin is not okay. Sin is not okay. And the enemy comes along and he wants us to believe that it's okay. That sin is okay. God will understand. Oh, that's those words. When you minister to people and you hear those words, well, God and I have an understanding. Oh, that's a tough one. But sin is not okay. It's a big deal. And here's another way the enemy, here's another way the enemy deceives our minds and our hearts as believers. Everybody has their struggles. Anybody ever use that one? I'll raise my hand. I've used it. Well, you know, everybody struggles. Where's that in the Bible? Now, listen, we do have struggles. The Apostle Paul talked about struggles in Corinthians, and he said that he disciplined his body so that he would not be disqualified. We're to deal with sin. We can't say, we can't call sin struggles. We, that, that's a clever uh, ploy of the enemy that if, we can, if he can get us to think of sin with another word, then it doesn't sound so bad. Well, I struggle with this. Well, if the Bible says it's sin, it's sin and it's offensive to God. Let's look at a few scriptures that uh, point out some things. How about Romans chapter 6, verse 1? Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What about verse 2? It's not there? Sorry, that's my fault. Not, this, not the, the slide lady for today. That, this is my fault. Please don't turn around. Quickly, yeah. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. I have to share verse 2. Paul said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul said, Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So the mindset here, you know, in, in context, there were those who were saying, that because God gives grace, it's okay to sin. God will forgive me. God never said, says that in his word. He will forgive us. But the point being, we can't say that it's okay because God will forgive us. And he says, certainly not. In the Greek, that's basically saying, are, are, you, are you mental? Are you serious? Paul understood sin is offensive to God. Now, God is full of grace and mercy. He forgives sin. And unfortunately, this kind of mindset takes place in, in the, uh, the addiction world. I don't like that word addiction because it's not in the Bible. Addiction is sin. 
And praise God, God forgives sin. And that's the greatest hope we can share with people. We have the answers to sin. We don't need to go to a, you know, a meeting that talks about higher power that has no deliverance. The power is Jesus Christ forgives sin. And he, he's demonstrated his great love and how he can do that by dying on the cross for our sin. And when we do confess sin, we, we can be forgiven. But see, if I make it about my sobriety, then I'm going to be sober for the, or try to be sober for the rest of my life. And I have to do that on my own. It's Jesus who delivers us. There's a big difference. But Paul says, are you mental? Can't say sin's okay. And what about Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 14? Paul says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That word reckon means consider, perceive, chew on it, meditate, know it. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that in your, and should obey its lust. And do not present your members as excuse me, instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Grace gives us the ability to be obedient. God's given us grace that I don't have to sin. You see, before we came to the Lord, there was that pressure to sin all the time. Now, as believers in Christ Jesus, we are tempted to sin. And there are times that we will sin. We have, look at us. We're sinners, but we're saved. We're to reckon it in our, we're to, we are dead to sin. And the greatest picture for us to reckon it is our baptism. Water baptism, this symbolic working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. The true baptism takes place in the heart that very moment that we confess Christ as Lord and Savior when we ask God for forgiveness of our sin. See, when we confess, we're agreeing with Him. I have missed the mark. I'm understanding, I understand that uh, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We understand that the wages of sin is death. And we reckon that in our mind that he's delivered me from that sin. See, that takes all the pressure away. Why, why do we bring this up? Because in these last days, brothers and sisters, the enemy is trying to just lie to us and get us in bondage as believers. And the, I don't know about you, but the temptation to sin is it's growing, it's increasing, and it works in different ways in all of our lives. Because the day is getting closer. The enemy wants to, you know, he has no power over us, but he's so clever, right? If he can get us to think and chew on our sin and, and say it's a struggle. So know that sin is not okay. And then what about, Again, this isn't an exhaustive list, but what about going to the Holy Spirit for help? Romans 8.13 says, 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So, point here, the Holy Spirit. To live in the flesh means to live selfishly, self-centeredness, self-reliant. Ultimately, that leads to spiritual death. And as Paul says in Ephesians, the, the sons of disobedient being spiritually dead, they're separated from Christ. But as believers, we're not separated from Christ. We've been made alive in Christ. We've been set free from the power of sin. And so when we do fall into sin, right, it can happen, right? Believers can fall into sin. When we do fall into sin, what do we do? Well, Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Mindset is, is going to the Lord with our sin. Now, what's the enemy do? He wants that wedge between us and the Lord. And the moment we sin, whatever it might be, that's the time to go to God. The enemy wants to bring that division, that wall in our minds, that we don't go to him, and then that sin festers, and when there's no confession, then there's conflict in our relationship with the Lord, and before too long, there's going to be a separation. And the enemy is so clever. And we have a calling as a church, because we love one another, ministering to one another, that we share the truth with our brothers and sisters that just might happen to fall into sin. Paul talked in Galatians, those who are spiritual, go restore your brothers and sisters, speaking to them in a spirit of gentleness and love. But you've got to call sin, sin. The worst thing we can do for one another is to pat each other on the back and rub each other's back and say, it's going to be okay. You, you know, No, lead them to what the Word says, to be set free. Again, thinking on this mindset, we are dead to sin, alive in Christ. Look at verse 37 of Romans chapter 8. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thinking in terms that we, because of Jesus Christ, are more than conquerors. God has given you and I everything we need to conquer sin because he's already conquered it for us. And then we have to, to walk in that. Well, how do we do that? Well, turn with me to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse, beginning in verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, there's so much. We could use these, you know, this passage for so many things and, you know, in context with our walk with the Lord. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, as wise, but taking the opportunity that we live in the days that we're living in and living for the Lord. 
We get one chance to live for the Lord in this lifetime. One chance. And then there's going to be a time that it's no more. It could be today. I really want to see my granddaughter in a few hours that I haven't seen in months. But if we get called up beforehand, it would be okay. We'll be called into glory. And being good Bible students that you are, you understand that that time can be any time. His return is imminent for his church. Amen? And so we have one life to live for him, redeeming the time because the days are evil. You know, the enemy, when we do fall into sin and we don't deal with the sin, the enemy has a field day with us up here in our minds, lying to us. But he never tells us that it's not the will of God to be living in sin. But the Holy Spirit does. It's not God's will that we live in sin because he sent his son to die on the cross for our sin. He, it's his will that we live with joy, rejoicing in him, bringing praise and glory to him. You know, worship is a 24-7 thing. The heart of worship, like we sang, it's not, not just a song. It's a lifestyle. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 4. See, we can have the mindset, well, God will just deliver and he's going he's to snap his fingers and I'm going to be okay with, from this sin here. He's going to work in such a way that it's going to be gone and everything's going to be okay. But no, that's not necessarily true, that go and, and let God. Sometimes you've got to be careful with that phrase, go and let God, because there's an awful lot of exhortation from the Word of God that tells us to walk in faith. And I like this passage in Ephesians. I call it my own little title of just do it. Just do it. Look at verse 20. We'll go back to verse 20. It says, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have not been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Now again, who's Paul referring to? He's talking to believers. And the exhortation is to put off the old man. It's like uh, Vernon McGee has stated. It's like putting on or putting off your old clothes or your dirty clothes and the old man and putting on the new man, the new clothes. We have responsibility to walk in the newness of life that God has given to us through Jesus Christ. We have that response. How do we do that? Well, he's saying here, Put off concerning your former conduct. It's former conduct. The old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. Put off the old man and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And we're constantly being renewed, right? When you first got saved, your thinking began to change. I hope it did. It's like, you got a new set of lenses, a whole different worldview. You see things uh, totally different. And 
were renewed in the Spirit. And that's the amazing thing. And you can tell when those that are in bondage to sin or maybe coming out of sin, that they, they haven't grasped that God has made us new and His mercies are new every day. We get to walk in them. God didn't just, He's just not cleaning us up. We're renewed in the Spirit. He doesn't make us a better person, right? Is there anybody here that is good? It's a test. Don't raise your hand. There's none good. He didn't, he's not trying to make us into good people. He wants us to walk in the newness of life. And praise God, it's never, it's never ending, right? We, you know, it's, you don't walk with the Lord 30 years, and after 30 years, it's like, well, okay. No, it, walking with the Lord's exciting. It's it's awesome to, it, it's awesome to have your sin forgiven. Going to Him and saying, "Lord, I've I blown it again," and confess whatever sin it is to Him, and rejoice in that you're forgiven, because we already know He's going to forgive us. We know that, but when we do it, we experience the blessing of God, His presence. We experience him saying, I, I forgive you. And then moving on. Verse 24 says, In that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. I, I don't know about you folks, but I don't feel righteous and holy every day. But praise be to God, it says here, put on the new man which was created according to God. He does it. He, he did it. And we get to walk in it. So just a few of those things that how important it is to deal with sin. We understand the days that we're living in are evil. We understand that the Lord Jesus Christ could come back at any time. And you know, that's motivation for us. I want my heart and my life to be free from conflict. You ever chew on those things? Oh, usually Saturday after watching the Buckeyes is when I think of you know all the times I yelled at stupid TV. I hope the Lord never comes back during a Buckeye game where I'm in trouble, especially next week. But do you ever chew on that? I'm going to stand before Jesus. And that should be motivation because you know what? He's excited that we, we're going to stand before him. He's excited about that. We should be excited too, and that should be motivation for us, living our life of holiness and righteousness unto him. Now go back to Mark chapter 9, and we'll look at these last two verses here. Verse 49 says, For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. So in this mindset here, we're reminded, uh, you know, the sacrificial offerings in the Old Testament, most of the offerings uh, were seasoned with salt and burned in fire unto the Lord. And the point here Jesus is making is that the disciples' lives were seasoned with salt unto the Lord. Their lives would be a sacrifice unto him. And so 
we are to live our lives as a sacrifice unto the Lord. Romans 12.1 I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Well, that's a powerful verse that I know that you know. We are to live our lives as a sacrifice to him. You know, Paul in Ephesians 5 mentioned that we should imitate Christ and that we could, should walk in his love. So much so that our walk would be a fragrant aroma to him. That's a living sacrifice. Now, fire here speaks of persecution. Trials we endure. The apostle Paul, or excuse me, Peter, uh, in 1 Peter 4. And again, as I've shared with you, I love reading how Peter had a transformation in his life after the resurrection of Jesus. He wasn't that apostle or disciple that said, you know, you are the Christ, but uh, we don't believe you're going to suffer. So I'll rebuke you, Jesus. I still can't wrap my mind about, around that. But Peter is a totally different person. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 with the mindset of persecution. Listen, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer shall live the rest of his time in the flesh, but for, excuse me, time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel which preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. So the exhortation for us from the Holy Spirit, no longer living in the flesh, but live for the will of God. And it's not the will of God that we live in sin. And we understand as we minister with the truth that there will be those that come against us. Amen? We see in the world how... We, have, we live in a world that hates God. We live in a world that hates Jews. We live in a world that hates Christians, and that's ever increasing. But we're still called to persevere. In fact, if you go over to 1 Peter 5, and we'll close with this. Verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, Who's that referring to? Not you. <laughs> Younger people. It's subjective. Teens. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So you take that all the way back when John, after hearing Jesus say, you know, we're going to Jerusalem. We're gonna, I'm going to be turned over and suffer many things and be killed and rise on the third day. And he teaches them about being a servant. And John says, well, we saw this guy casting out demons and we told him he shouldn't do that because he's not part of us. 
Well, the Spirit of God now with Peter saying, God uh, resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, submitting to one another. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. The care there is burden. Some translations will say burden, which leads to the word anxiety. We understand anxiety is a form of fear. So God's not telling you to go to the local psychologist with this. He's telling you to go to him with it. We can go to him with our sin. It's a care. It's a burden. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Listen to this. Here's our exhortation. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Resist him. Be steadfast in the faith. And these are things that we really need to take to heart in the days that we're living in. Resisting the enemy. Verse 10 says, But may God of all grace, who called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. This is a great exhortation for us today, living in these last days, living in times of great temptation, living in times that we have to truly persevere in the Lord. I can't remember who said it, but it's so true. Uh, recently, somebody here, you know, we're learning more and more what it means to persevere as a saint. Before it was just a doctrine type of thing that we knew this up here. But now we understand the days that we're living in. We need to persevere. And is it not comforting to know that we're not alone? One, we have the Lord. But we also have the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And as I've shared often, listen, if you've fallen into sin, you need to contact a brother or sister. Me, anybody. And hear the truth. To be forgiven and to be set free. Because we get one life to live for Jesus. And soon and very soon, He is coming for His bride. And we want to have pure hearts, pure conscience, ready to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? All right, if the worship team will come up. Father, we... Thank you for your word. Lord, we know that all sin is offensive to you. But yet, Lord, you give us much grace. And we receive this word today, Lord, knowing that you desire that we not stay in our sin. Yes, you have forgiven us for eternity. The power of sin has no more on us, Lord, but yet, we live in a world that has fallen. The enemy is real. He, he tempts us. We are weak. So, Lord, I pray for anyone here today that even right now they're being convicted. That, Holy Spirit, you would comfort them. 
the love of God. And may they receive that invitation to come before you and to confess their sin. For your word says that if we confess our sin, you are, you are faithful and able to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You are certainly a just God. So Lord, would you work in the hearts of those in need now? And Lord, I pray for all of us that you would pour in our hearts afresh the Holy Spirit, reminding us the need to resist. And how do we resist? By faith. That we would be steadfast, standing strong, on the truth of who you are, Jesus, the truth of the word of God, and the truth of the promises that we have. Lord, it's our great desire that we will indeed stand before you with pure hearts and a pure conscience. We love you, Lord. And may in our hearts, in our hearts we say, come, Lord Jesus. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Jim from Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship located in northern Cincinnati. Thank you for listening to today's Abiding Word. Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So we hope the word has encouraged you in your walk with the Lord today. You can email me at PastorJimSwigert at gmail.com. That's Pastor Jim Swigert at gmail.com with any comments or prayer requests. You can also connect with us at Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Church website is calvarychapelfaithfellowship.org. There you can learn more about the ministry of Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Thank you and God bless.